Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. This is Sanjog All, and welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. The topic for today is developing digital dexterity, and we have Greg Schartner, who's a CIO with New Jersey Institute of Technology. Hey, Greg, how are you? Good, thank you. Good morning. Great, great. Great to have you. And we have Brian Stewart, who's the Deputy CIO and Director of Business Transformation at University of Alberta. Hey, Brian, how's life? Great, thanks very much. <clears throat> Great. So uh, the topic that we have uh, we are going to cover today is essentially something which is like almost I call it Star Trek for some people, but frankly, a lot of organizations are looking to implement, which is think about a workplace where human and digital resources are reconfiguring themselves based on the business needs, and that too they do it dynamically and do it autonomously and fluidly. So if this was to be accomplished in an enterprise setting, which is known to be not always monolithic, but kind of close to it, where they have their old style approaches to bureaucracy and also technology, can we make take that leap in terms of developing this digital dexterity? That's what we want to discuss. So Brian, I'd like to start with you as the first question, given Enterprises always wanted predictability. That means they want a well-defined structure and control change. Do you think we are ready, an organization is ready, to, to break such molds and the age-old uh, ways of doing things and suddenly become this futuristic organization? Um, I, 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 my first answer would be no, we're not ready. Um, the question then goes to well, what is that futuristic space that, that you're sort of articulating there? How far away from current will that be? Um, a lot of times when we talk about technology, we tend to advance it uh, beyond where it will ever go. Uh, if you go back in time and you look at you know, what was happening in the Industrial Revolution, uh, people would look at it and say this will take over. And uh, I mean, uh, even in the 50s, we were talking about we would have motorized pathways, that that would be the way we would move because we wouldn't walk anymore. Um, those are things that, that we tend to, you know, hyperinflate the expectations that we see technology doing. So I think we have to bring those back a bit to, to say what is the real, more realistic future that, that we will be experiencing. And, and, and that's not to say we're ready for that either. But let's, let's calm down in terms of, of what we expect the, uh, the future to be. Uh, organizations um, have grown based on the technologies that they use and based on our psychology. And then we form organizational structure to reflect that. And then we, we work within those because they're efficient and effective and they, they do what we need them to do. Now we get new tool sets and new technologies that enable us in very different ways. Uh, we have to look in terms of how that impacts the structures that, that we've now created. What does this allow us to do that we could never do before uh, or do better than, than what we're currently doing? And we're, we're really only imagining those right now. Uh, we see them in some industries or some uh, companies. We've seen what they're doing and, um, and they're sort of like very futuristic in their approach. But even they have, are struggling in terms of how they reconstruct themselves. And even if we look at the forerunners with Googles, with Microsofts um, and, and Teslas, they're, they're struggling to understand what organizational structures they have, even though they, they're far in advance of, of most 
uh, of the rest of, of industrial and, and um, you know, public sector organizations. They're still struggling to understand this. And so I'd have to answer your question is that, no, we're not ready, partly because we don't know what ready looks like, and partly because um, we're still very much mired in, in existing mindsets. So, Greg, building upon what Brian just mentioned, I, and I loved your the combination of psychology and technology, Brian, where these two in combination is develop what a company ends up doing over the years. So, Greg, do you think the intent is even there to become that futuristic or we are on the fence or just in a wait and watch mode because there are few, uh, you know, front runners, if you will, or first movers who are trying and failing and trying again and failing again, and we are watching it as a sandbox and see where this leads us, and then you're going to make the move, or you are chomping at the bits and you're getting your organization ready? Well, you know, I think in, in not only in my case, but my experience, I think the organizational culture of the organization very often tends to drive some of those decisions we are seeing more and more instances of machine learning and artificial intelligence in the technology that we use. So it is adapting and reacting much quicker than you know, humans can or IT staff in this case can. I think our challenge is getting the staff comfortable with these technologies because culturally I, I, I think what people are seeing is their jobs could be replaced by the ability of this technology to react and adapt to what the business needs are. So, you know, while you have lots of technology companies, especially in our network environment, we're seeing this probably more often, we're seeing technology and equipment reacting very quickly, and it's changing the way that people support and configure the equipment and I think it's a scary proposition, and I think that's why I think the culture sometimes is more of an impediment than the actual technology is. So, Brian, we, we speak about the command and control or the predictability, which an enterprise setting always or an enterprise always took pride in. And, and there is some value to be able to predictably tell your customers, internal or external, that we will deliver something and we indeed deliver. Do you think, and then that's why this, this discussion is not to just kind of keep this idea aside because we cannot see, but if you just were to brainstorm, how would you envision an environment where things are happening autonomously and where people and processes are essentially relinquishing control voluntarily to allow this autonomy and the fluidity? The... Um I just, uh, in terms of predictability, I think what, what we want more than particular is reliability. Um, so it's a slight difference in terms. Um, I think we all look for reliability so that we know that something that we want is going to happen in the way that we want it rather than predictability, which I think is more controlled. So I, I would lessen the, the constraint on that one. Um, in terms of organizations and uh, the sort of autonomy or empowerment that, that you're describing, those are huge challenges, and, and um, they're huge challenges for us as individuals. Uh, how, how, like if you're a boss, if you're the manager, supervisor, director, whatever level you're at, you've got an accountability that you have to deliver on, and, and you, you know, you're obviously going to be a little nervous about making sure that that happens because your career or your, your income may depend on it. 
Um, so it's going to be very difficult for you to relinquish that that level of control um, to to some you know more autonomous structure that you're not quite sure uh, how it might happen. And Greg's point about culture is, is critical here. So what what is the organizational culture you're in? What is the you know the, the societal culture you're in? Will depend very much on how we we, we move down that path. If we're if you're in a, a very controlling culture where everything is hierarchical. Um, that's going to be extremely difficult for you to adapt uh, into into a more, let's say, demo, uh, um, a democratic culture where you're you're more egalitarian in, in your decision making. Um, if you're in a more democratic culture where people are more fluid in terms of responsibilities and accountabilities, it's going to be a lot easier. But it's going to, I mean, it, it does present a huge challenge um, to to give up, uh, as Greg said, in terms of give up power of your job, the skill sets, of your your understanding, your knowledge, to give that away. That's a hugely you know, um, uh, impactful decision to make because it's like, am I giving my job away? Or if I, am I giving my power away in terms of, you know, I've got positional authority and I'm accountable for certain things, am I giving that away? So these are two real you know, significant challenges that, that we're going to face. And it comes down to, to the culture of your organization uh, in terms of the trust that you have in the organization to support you when you make those decisions. And are they going to be forgiving if the autonomousness of my decision-making becomes, uh, you know, that, that I fail to make a particular deliverable? Or am I going to have a job if I give my skill set away or my knowledge set to, to either a machine or an alternate human to deal with? Am I going to still be here? Am I going to still have my job? That comes down to the trust you have in your organization. So, Greg, so very well put, Brian. Now, Greg, there could be a fear-driven change, and usually that's not the most progressive change, or it perhaps stalls people more than moves them forward. But at the same time, we should also look at a positive trigger, which will make people take the leap of faith, whether or not they trust or in fact, let's let's assume that they trust the organization, but there needs to be some sort of a positive trigger which will make people say, you know what, I'm ready to allow autonomy about something which I'm responsible for, for in terms of the reliability, but I'm going to relinquish control and allow autonomy because I believe in how the rest of the team and the organization and the technology is working. What would that trigger, positive trigger look like in your view? Well, I think it's a challenge because I, I, I think human nature is, is difficult to change. And I think in Brian, in, in, in my case, and I suspect in his also, when you work in a university or a college and you have shared governance models and unions, it's not always that easy to modify someone's position or responsibilities in the organization without lots of you know, committees and, and, and lots of external pressures that are not necessarily strategic or focused on, on the, the issue at hand. So I think progressive people, I think, are always trying to reinvent themselves as much like companies are and learn new skill sets to do those things. But I think culturally, when you have hit a point in your career where perhaps you are comfortable with what you're doing and less likely to adapt to new technologies and new thought process processes. I think that's where we have some of the challenges. You know, back to that culture again, younger people, people just out of college, I think are much more adaptable to these types of technologies. People who've been performing these roles or almost the same roles for years tend not to be quite as adaptive 
and uh, receptive to these types of new changes. So uh, if I were to ask you uh, another question that if you are asking people to change in a certain way. Yes, they would. everyone would love a positive change. But if we continue to measure their performance, like imagine your performance appraisal or any of your business unit leaders or their staff, if they're, they are measured in a certain way, their incentives and their compensation is, uh, and, and their promotions are, are being evaluated in a certain way, any shift from that will not be welcome. So before we ask humans to change, do we have to change our organizational design and the way we measure or evaluate their performance and their outcomes they produce? Is, is that directed Greg. to me? Yeah, Greg. Yeah, to yeah. Greg. Uh, I think we do. And, and maybe it is a function of for-profits and non-profit organizations that have different you know, business models, so they have different incentive models. In the higher ed space, where we are not profit and loss oriented necessarily, there may be no less incentive to try and do some of those things, to try and reduce costs and, and gain efficiencies, which is typically what you're trying to achieve. Uh, we have to deliver you know, a set of services to our constituents, and we do that as efficiently as we can. Uh, very often I'm being asked to do, you know, provide more services with a flat staff complement. So in those cases, I think it makes a lot of sense. But to really push this forward, the idea of adaptability and, de and digital dexterity, I think we have to change business models in the nonprofit sector that, uh, again, is, is a bit isolated from for-profit in that we are not driven by profit. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Brian, when we come back, let's talk about the collaborative learning which we need for digital dexterity, which could span essentially geography, the lines of business, and there may be other types of boundaries which we have created in a traditional enterprise. Since you want that to be the basis of everyone connecting with each other, not just within a small little group, for it to be seen as an organization with digital dexterity. Can we break those walls down? And if yes, how? Please stay tuned, we'll be right back. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. 
Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Brian, imagine you could make all your different lines of business. It could be, you know, educational institution or even other traditional companies from other industries. You could break those lines or, or those walls across geography, lines of business, or any other kind of boundaries you may have established. If you could do that, what would that process look like of people undoing what has been, those walls were created many years ago and they were strengthened over the years because of the way enterprises typically work? How would you start undoing them? I, the, um, so... so let me let me just uh, approach this from a from a very pragmatic approach, and then maybe broaden it out to to uh, a bigger view. Uh, one is to to experiment um, in terms of you, if you're going to change something, do controlled experiments. I think this is a key to our future. You can't know um, what it is that you know the, the full impacts of, of any particular technological shift will have, but what you can do is you can start to trial it in a controlled way to look at it and to try and understand how it might impact on, on the constraints that you put within the experimental uh, design. So that's going to be a crucial you know, uh, approach that we take to be able to try and understand uh, how we may wish to, you know, or not wish, but need to use the technology and how it might impact how, how we work and how we collaborate and, and how we share information and, and share learning. Um, so that's a, that's a very pragmatic approach. Let me draw up now in terms of, of the broader context of, of how that might impact organizations or, or how organizations might wish to, to view themselves um, in, a, in a more collaborative world. Um, we are naturally collaborative. That, that tends to be how we are. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a problem in terms of, of humans collaborating. I think we, we, we like that. We do that. It's how we, we operate in our society and in our social groups. The, the question, though, becomes one in organizations, we tend to get pigeonholed into, into silos or into the, the, you know, segments or, or teams, and, and then sort of communication channels begin to wither uh, outside of your direct group. And, and if you look at any network diagrams, you'll see that you know, uh, happen. You'll see uh, where people's networks are and, and who they communicate most with, and it's generally with their local team, and then it dissipates thereafter. So these are crucial, um, you know, issues that we have to face in terms of if you want to move fast, if you want to innovate quickly, um, and if you want to really uh, take advantage of, of the affordances of the technology is how can you create what was put back in, in the 70s of Peter Senge in terms of the learning organization. We now actually have the ability to create a learning organization technologically, and the question is how, how can we do it, you know, in, in the sense of our own organizational constraints. Um, if you look at it in terms of some of the areas that we might look at for other industries, I mean, uh, Greg's brought up the post-secondary and, and uh, the higher ed, and we're both in that. They, these are very, very hierarchical organizations, very siloed organizations. Um, sometimes they're designed that way, 
Um, so they're not real, even though ironically, this is where you know, this is where we, we develop learning and research, and this is where an awful lot of the you know information technology came from. Uh, it's ironic that you know these organisations aren't as collaborative as we would wish them to be uh, outside of you know some of the research areas. So if you look at you know the marketing area, if you look at uh, something happy design thinking. You can see that people working in those industries are much more collaborative in terms of how um, they share information. Um, and I think those are very interesting, uh, you know, let's say examples of what we could look at to say, okay, this is a way that we might be able to do this. this is, these are maybe some areas we could look at um, in terms of where, how we can become, uh, for want of a better term, hyper-collaborative um, and hyper-sharing. So I think that, that may be uh, an interesting uh, perspective to take but as I said, to go back to my first point, I think what we have to do to try and start breaking down some of these walls is to start experimenting and then, you know, learn from the experiments. Greg, what would you tell, building upon what Brian just said, what would you tell people for them to embrace this idea about breaking the walls? Because silos were created for, I'm assuming, some reason, maybe some independence, some objectivity, some... Uh, control or whatever that that uh, business reason was, not necessarily a psychological reason, but maybe a business reason. Why would someone do this? What's in it for me would be the first question that will pop in their mind. If you were to evangelize right. this concept, what would you say? Well, I mean, one of the things I like to try and do is provide people with the opportunities to do research and innovate within their, their piece of the organization. So one of the ways we try and, and, and reach that point of digital dexterity is to challenge people to look at the latest trends, look at the latest technologies, look at the latest business processes, and promote, as Brian said, experimentation or build proof of concepts and give them an opportunity to be challenged and to determine if some of the information that they derive or extract from their research can actually be implemented in a production environment to see if some of what they have found would actually work in our environment. And I think that not only generates interest and, and makes it exciting for, for individuals, it, it, it gives us a path to continue innovative or innovating rather and taking a look at these technologies so we stay not so much to be early adopters, but we stay relevant and don't fall so far behind that it's, it's, it's difficult you know, to catch up with your peer institutions. So what you just mentioned definitely makes sense when you are trying to get an organizational group, if you will, to start embracing digital dexterity in the, in the four walls that they have erected around themselves. Now we're talking about spanning different groups. You're telling them to let go or tell other people what you're doing or allow other people to come and, and can exert control on what you were doing. So you're asking them to break the walls. So my question was, how would you motivate people to let go and to allow breaking those walls and invite those guests in who might want to change things the way you have been doing? Yeah, I'm not sure I have a good answer for that because that's, that's a challenge when you are going against culture and the history of the organizations. Uh, 
So yes, so that challenge is there. I'm asking if you were to be given an opportunity to make a shift, I'm sure there will be some things you would do to tweak the culture. Yeah, that would be ongoing. But what would be your message to them? So let's not let's look at the first few steps you would take if you were to make this happen. Well, I think the message to to end users would be perhaps a, a more adaptable and agile environment to the actual staff that are affected. I, I, I think that's the challenge. It's, it's difficult, again, to tell someone who's been doing the same thing for many years, here's how we're going to do this now, or here's a piece of technology that can perform this task much quicker and much more effectively than you can do that, but we're going to try and find you a new place in the organization. I, I think that's one of the challenges we all face. Brian, thoughts on this? Yeah, okay. So I think, I mean, in terms of it, uh, Greg's right. It's, it's going to be a huge challenge. But I think what, what we have to do, um, and in some sense, this hit, hints back at, uh, not directly to, to the question, but there's a parallel. When I was in the printing industry years ago, um, we were digitally disrupted. So that was back in the 90s when desktop revolution came in. And uh, I, was, uh, I was in the mix on that one because I was, I was um, a plant manager. And uh, I was displacing workers who were film, film assemblers. And, um, and all I could do in terms of helping them through the change was, was to create, try and create a safe place for them uh, by bringing them and saying, this is the future. The future, as I see it, um, is this. And it's not looking good for you because your skills are being displaced and you really don't have you know, a future um, uh, with your current skill set. So we, we can offer these, you know, these alternatives. And we offered several alternatives that, that, um, that the, the staff um, picked from. Um, and I think that helped in terms of, of them, you know, agreeing to, you know, share their skills or at least, you know, not disrupt the disruption itself, not to, not to stand in its way and, and not to adopt the Luddite propose, or, uh, position. They actually joined us and, and facilitated the op- adoption of the new technology, uh, which was essentially displacing them. So we had to create that first place, that trust, that, that, that belief that, you know, this was, we had their back as much as we could but that we were facing an inevitability that, that none of us uh, could really deal with, you know, with the, if the business wants to continue. We had to do this, otherwise the business itself was threatened. So I think in terms of we have to create safe spaces, we have to create, you know, uh, alternate paths that, uh, that they can see themselves in, the, you know, the, the old what's in it for me. There has to be something in it for them, um, and we have to be able to reward them in some way for, for what they're giving us, for, it, for, for the sharing that they get. If, if it's predatory and that they share and they see that, you know, the sharing goes nowhere, then, then they're not going to, to buy into it. I mean, if you've any experience on, on lean and the whole concept of lean, um, lean is where, you, where staff engage in a controlled exercise to, to um, you know, eliminate waste in a particular process. Um, and one of the key aspects of lean is don't use it to downsize your, your staff because what you're asking them to do is to share all their knowledge and information and learning to try and help the process for the benefit of all. If that's predatory and we take all that learning and then we use it to displace them, guess what? You're not going to do it again. So we have to have that commitment. So if you want to gain from the, from the, you know, the collaboration and the hyper-learning that you're going to need, then you have to create safe spaces, you have to provide rewards, and you have to provide a path that they can see themselves in for the future. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about the way data 
is used for the decision making in the digital age. In fact, that's how it has been proposed that you don't use the gut. There will always be some element of it, but for the most part, we should use data for decision making. But then in an enterprise, it has been an age old challenge to have one version of the truth when it comes to data. And if you don't have your data engineering functions properly placed and or uh, they are really creating value and the, the state of data is not the greatest, that how can you rely on the data to make a decision which is a prerequisite for digital dexterity? How do we tame this beast? How do we tackle the challenge? Where do we get started even to start attacking this problem? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back, and this question will be for you, Greg. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Greg, the decisions that we have to make in digital age cannot be just based on gut. They have to become data-driven. And we have issues with creating clean and one version of the truth when it comes to data in an enterprise. And this is not a new problem. It's a chronic issue. So would we have this chronic challenge continue and we will not get to digital dexterity as a reason uh, due to that? Or are there some solutions we can deploy? Well, that, no, that's a good question. Uh, we are very immature in being able to interpret and capture all the data points that are available to us now. And I think one of our challenges is to try and start converting all this unstructured data into some structure so that we can use our analytics tools to help make better decisions. Uh, we're relying on some of the new predictive analytics capabilities, but 
we are still at the immature stage of, of, of being able to do those things. But I agree with you know, your, your premise that you can't really make those kind of digital dexterity decisions unless you have good data points to be able to process and interpret. Uh, and, and, and that's really a challenge for us. I, I think often we go to our gut because it's most comfortable and it stays within our comfort zones. I think being able to use the data makes a lot of sense, but as we all know, data can be interpreted so many different ways, so I think we have to create standards, and that's something at the, my present organization, we are trying to create structured data standards and data management so we can make better decisions, and, and right now, we're not there yet. Brian, so if if we had to play a consultant to organizations who are trying to go towards digital dexterity, like enterprises, how would they go about starting chipping away at this problem at the very least so that the data, one version of the truth of data, starts becoming more manageable and more reliable in your terms? The, um, just, uh, it's interesting in terms of we use the, the, the concept of one version of the truth, and uh, I think we need just to understand what that means. Um, and, and I use the analogy of if you look at a sports game, and when a call is made and then they review it and you see you know, multiple camera angles all looking at the same event, yet all telling something different about the event. And from one angle, the play is good. And from another angle, the play is bad. Um, and, and yet they're all watching the same thing. So which is the source of truth? So the, the, I just draw it out because it, it, when you start talking about data and information, the, the single source of truth is a is a variable con- a concept and has to be considered um, uh, advisedly. Generally, when we talk about one source of truth, we're talking about one data set that is the official data set that is, uh, is credible, is accurate, and is current, um, and is protected. And we, and we say, and that usually in, in many organizations is within their, their enterprise resource planning system. Uh, and that's where the, the, the single source of truth. And what we don't want is we don't want multiple, um, you know, um, sources that are derivatives of each other, that we don't know which one is the right number to believe in. What were our sales this month? What was the, the labor cost this month? Well, we don't know because it's all over the place and no one's quite sure. So those are, those are the things that we need um, in terms of making sure that we've got single sources of truth. As Greg has pointed out, um, one of the key problems we have is that we don't know where all our data is. Um, we've data all over the place, and in, in higher education institutions, that, that's even more complex than most organizations because um, we have devolved and disaggregated structures which allow people to keep data for themselves, and they don't really share it. So, so there's lots of pockets of data that we're not really sure. If I'm advising anybody to say you want to go to a data-driven organization, that you need data to drive digital change, and you want to become dexterous in the digital realm then you have to find out where your data is. So you need to take on a data inventory uh, operation. Find out where your data is. Find out what it is. You need to institute, um, as Greg has mentioned there, in terms of data, data management. You need to, stru- to structure data management. Uh, create a data reference architecture for what you need uh, in terms of where you want to be in the future. And the term data architecture is very new to many people. In fact, some people would say they, don't, they shouldn't be in the same sentence. Um, but that's a thing that will grow. That's a term that we will increasingly hear. And the last one of these in terms of sort of uh, initial uh, approaches I would recommend would be you need data governance. You need the institution or the organization to identify what it, uh, what it wants to do with data, uh, how it uh, handles data, how it stewards data, how it names data, how it stores data. 
those are, have to be governmental, uh, governance issues that uh, the organization has to address. Otherwise, as you say, even if you know where everything is, you have no control over what it is. You will have people naming things as they want, uh, and you will have people uh, describing and using data in ways um, that you're not necessarily comfortable with, um, or in fact might be egregious and, and uh, you know, negative to the company itself. So that would be my initial approach. So, Greg, let's come to the workforce itself. Think about the type of people you would need for digital dexterity, which has been defined as fluid, autonomous, and, uh, you know, just, just flowing, right? There's a fluidity to it. That means the workers, they need themselves to be open-minded, that they will be willing to take on anything that is handed over to them. They need to be creative, and they should be resourceful and entrepreneurial, Compare or contrast that to what a typical enterprise used to hire. People who, yes, they want creativity, but they also want people who can take an instruction and run with it and do it over and over. you got all sorts of people. So what will we need to do to the enterprise workforce for it to be conducive for digital dexterity, given that there is quite a bit of shift expected in the workforce in case we are going the digital dexterity route? Well, I think you're correct that enterprises traditionally have hired people with specific skill sets to perform specific functions, and that was their value to the organization. And you know, very often, creativity and entrepreneurial were not often part of those position descriptions because they weren't necessarily important for that person to be successful. I think on, you know, in the scenario that you're describing, it, it is almost up to the organization to begin looking for people with perhaps not only those more structured skill sets, but the creativity that may not have even been accepted or interested in the past, but now perhaps it is a competency that organizations need to be able to adapt and leverage digital dexterity. So I think it's a reshaping of the organizational hiring structure. Uh, I think the HR departments need to be involved with those sorts of building processes. And the, the organizations, in this case IT organizations, I think need to relook at what they're hiring and what those needs actually are so that they can not only keep the lights on today, but how do we get to our future state with, with, you know, with the staff that we have? Because you can't just change people out constantly. So you've got to create an environment where people feel comfortable, where they feel like the management or the organization supports those needs. So I, I, I think it's a challenging building process. Brian, if, if you were to be tasked with something like this and you know that you have some talent in-house and, yes, you will inherit that talent who were not uh, hired for those such competencies. Some people may have some of those which we needed to just let them surface so that they can show their creativity, etc. But not everyone had the skills or they, they, they didn't even sign up for this. So that means, are we saying displace workers voluntarily, not just because they were not relevant in terms of technology, but even for the mindset? Because they, they did not want to be entrepreneurial or they didn't have the, 
the open-mindedness which was not expected from of them earlier. I I don't think that people, um, you know, even if, all of us who fit into a job, I don't think we're we're sort of you know cast as if an iron and said you know that's the way you are and that's the way you'll ever be. Um, I think we're adaptable. I think we can change and I think we can learn. I mean, otherwise we might as well stop education because um, you know you got what you got at birth and forget it. We can develop. Um, and just because people weren't hired to be entrepreneurial, open-minded, and innovative doesn't mean they can't be. But they definitely need to be encouraged and they need to be trained and learned. And some will, like everything else, some will be better at it than others. But that doesn't mean that you can't get a baseline um, that, that is uh, effective enough and, and acceptable. Um, some people, like in anything, when there's a shift, may not be able to cope. That's, that happens. That's, that's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Um, but, but I think the mass or the majority of, of our employees can adapt and adopt. Um, if you look in terms of where they are in, 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 in both Greg and I's world, we're, we hire people who, who deal with technologies, and generally they're of a, a pretty high level uh, of training and, and education to be able to deal with those technologies. Now, they weren't hired to be entrepreneurial. They were hired more to be technical and, uh, and to be operational. But... But they, uh, and I have no, no uh, you know, reason to believe that they can't achieve a level of, of entrepreneurialness or innovation that is effective enough for what we need. Everybody can't be on their own entrepreneurial innovating and everybody's wandering around, um, you know, individually in their own field. We need a collective. We need a team. And like any team, you have different positions that people play. And some people have strengths and some people have other strengths and they complement each other. So it's not an individualistic uh, entrepreneurism. It's, it's a team entrepreneurism and, 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 and an organizational entrepreneurism. So, so what we do is we look in terms of how we can develop a team to be effective and, and high-performing rather than say we need a lot of individuals who have particular skill sets. We need the blend that's going to be critical. And I, I believe that we can get there with, with the majority of our current staff. And so in, in technology department, I agree with you that people naturally like to be creative and you, you kind of hire or their DNA is such that they would be more adaptable. Since the digital dexterity is spanning all departments within the organization, then is, is there something that the technology group should do to lead the charge and lead by example for other people to see the value. So if, if somebody were to tackle this workforce issue, and, and I'd like to also throw one, one, one more thing in there, our education system, since you both come from educational uh, institution background, that is stemming from the industrial approach to you learn, have somebody learn a programming language, and then you do four or five things, and then you come into the workforce. Do you think we have to also make a dent there because we are in a way shaping them at the time when they enter the college and when they come out, they are going to implement what they learned. But here we are talking about entirely a different set of skill sets. What would you do, Brian, to, to shift things outside of your IT department and even at an education system level? Um, I... I I'm not the traditional person who comes in education because I, as I say, I was, I was in uh, printing industry most of my career and I came late to the, to, um, the education. So I have a, a different perspective. I didn't grow up through it. Um, and, and I'm challenged by, by many of the ways that we, we do educate. And it's very, as you say, essentially very formulaic. Um, and it has, it's an industrialized process. And I think technology has a huge play in how we can change that and enhance the whole learning. But that's a separate discussion probably for another day. 
in terms of, let's say, the subject matter rather than the methodology, um, yes, I, I believe that when we're, we're training our students and when we're educating our students, um, they have to have a broader uh, skill set. We can't just narrow them down to say, well, you're doing this. And I believe that's done, to, to be quite honest. I think that, that's, that's done in terms of anybody who enters a ComSci program will, will have to take some arts courses and have to take some general science courses. So I think there's, there's a broadness. Do they have to take a thinking course? Do they have to take, let's say, a business-type course? Not necessarily, and that may become, you know, a prereq uh, that they have to take rather than just be a choice of an elective that they might want to do. Because I think those skill sets are going to be crucial. And I think one of the, the key things, the difference between IT and digital, is IT looks at providing technology. Digital looks at using technology. And the shift has to be in our future workforce that they're much more focused on using it but with all the skill sets of understanding how to provide it. That's the sweet spot of the future digital worker is that you know how it's used, you can understand business context, but you also understand the complexity of what it needs to get that done. You can't have these two camps that that have an overlapping Venn diagram of a small sliver that says, yeah, I get both. Those those, technical skill sets and those um, business skill sets are going to have to overlap much, much, um, you know, lot more largely. And also the, the gap, the, the bit in the middle, is what we have to train our future workforce for. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Greg, when we come back, let's talk about the tools and technologies that are available today for collaboration and or communication or any kind of coordination effort we have to do across departments, across boundaries, even of the organization. So for digital dexterity, that autonomy, the fluidity, and, and the dynamic shifts that it expects, that digital dexterity paradigm, are our tools and technologies there yet? If not, what's missing? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise.
You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Um, so, Greg, in your organization, you must be using quite a few tools for communication, collaboration, coordination, etc. And I'm sure the newer age students are stretching your, you know, your, 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 uh, you know, the tool sets, or they may be demanding more tool sets. But now let's take Holy Grail uh, for de- digital dexterity to be the Holy Grail. Where do you think are the gaps? Well, I think for the most part, the, the introduction of the of cloud technologies have really increased the opportunity and the ability to leverage collaboration tools. They are readily available, especially in the higher ed space where companies provide very aggressive costs or in some cases no costs for these collaboration tools. So they are used at group levels, department levels, enterprise levels. So uh, I think it's become really available to use those tools for both uh, small group collaboration to mass communications to, to large groups of people. I think in many cases what I'm seeing now is younger staff members who are more comfortable with those collaboration tools are effectively influencing some of the older workers to become comfortable using those same tools now. So the ability to collaborate in real time on documentation, on ideas, on thoughts, I think has been a powerful tool and it has certainly allowed us to gain some efficiencies and shorten the amount of time it takes to reach a consensus on a particular problem or some discussion that we are having. Uh, so those, those tools are great. I, I just think it is getting people to continue being comfortable with doing those, using those tools and, and again, I say in real time because it's an interesting concept to actually see a, docu- a document being edited in real time and being able to be comfortable doing those sorts of things from in the past when people would email their thoughts or email documents to one another. So a mind shift that way, but I think, I think we're certainly moving that way very quickly. So, Brian, anything which looks more futuristic today but will be a prerequisite for digital dexterity when it comes to tools, which is not there yet. So that would be a shout out to the tool makers that, guys, will have to be ready for ABC. What would those be? Yeah, I think in terms of what I would look for is, is AI to play a role here, um, machine learning probably in particular. Um, if you look at, at one aspect, we talk about intelligent agents, and, and many of us have, have now got these things in our homes. Or certainly you've got one on your cell phone, um, where we ask Google or Siri for, for information on things. Um, and that, that ability, I think, has, can be brought into um, the, you know, the tools that we use. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be looking at trialing here is um, an intelligent agent to, to take minutes, where it will, you know, it will uh, sit and listen to a meeting and then um, uh, take the minutes of the meeting. Now, we haven't tried yet, so we're waiting to see uh, how interesting that could be. Um, now, if you look at that in terms of, you know, taking that further, in terms, okay, so that can also provide tasks. It can create tasks from, from the discussion and then assign those tasks to people's calendar, and then it can follow up on those tasks to see if people are done. Um, so those are, those I think, is a very interesting perspective in terms of, oh, well, that's very, very good because that's a very mundane task to, to follow up with people. Have you got this done? Where is it? Is it due? Um, and also, you can go further than that and say, okay, so why does it not reach out and maybe provide you some, some literature uh, on that particular topic that you've assigned or sign some reports or other meeting minutes that you might find relevant? 
And I look at that and say, that's really interesting, and that could advance us enormously, whereby you're not searching through um, the records uh, to find out what you might need to do to present that report because it's been provided to you. So I think that's a gap that, that I, I'm, I'm actually quite confident will be filled in the next uh, year or so that we will start using these things in a much more productive way. So while we have the base tools, uh, you know, wherever it is, is WhatsApp, Slack, you know, Trello, whatever, um, they'll become ML-enabled that will actually provide us much more information than simply saying you've got something to do. One last question, and that's for you, Greg. Uh, the risk, since we speak about everything else and we want to be progressive, we want to be futuristic, what should we be doing in terms of making sure that while we go towards the digital dexterity and the autonomy, et cetera, uh, to, to manage risk to reasonable levels. It will never be a zero risk situation ever, but then at least how to manage effectively business and IT risk as we work towards digital dexterity. Well, I, I think you have to work with the senior leadership of the organization and, and get them comfortable with opportunities and proof of concepts and ideas and concepts that can be used to provide efficiencies and, and leverage some of these latest technologies, you know, and just to build on what Brian was talking about, we are looking at using bots for our customer service capa no, capability so that technology will actually be responding to user requests as opposed to trying to scale help desk to do those sorts of things. So those are kind of ideas that are, you know, Star Trek using your term earlier, but becoming more commonplace now. So I think getting leadership comfortable with some of these decisions and working with the organization's IT department to accept that this is a reality that is coming and getting people you know, unconcerned about what's coming in the future and having them look forward to these things as being part of the solution as a part of, as opposed to having to find areas where you can put these people that are reluctant to try and gain the knowledge of some of these new technologies. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks so much, Brian and Greg, for sharing your thoughts regarding the steps we can take to enable digital dexterity in an enterprise setting. Thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, listeners, please like us on Facebook. Search for CTN CIO Talk Network and be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.